this week I was uh, debating on what to preach. I was going to preach on Moses some more, and then I said, you know, so many people are going to be gone this Sunday. We have almost 50 people who are at General Conference or Kenbrook Bible Camp or in Iceland. Uh, young, we have 11 young adults in Iceland. Um, I'm going to have to check on that. But, uh, but I thought, well, I'm not going to preach on Moses. I'll wait till more people get here. And then I thought, I'll preach on giving. Uh, that's good to preach to a small crowd. And, uh, and then, but after the light of what happened this week, I have to preach on what's going on in this country. And so I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, because I think it speaks to us and speaks to what's going on and what is the solution to what is going on. Starting with verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the human body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, hallelujah. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 2,000 years ago something remarkable happened. A new community, a radical new community, counterculture, countercultural to anything that had existed ever in that time, and still radically countercultural now, was born. It was called the church. And the church, you see, came into existence when Jesus died on the cross, because when he died on the cross, this is not one thing happened, but two things happened. It says that the curtain that separated us from the presence of God, that curtain was torn in two on the cross so that we have full access to God. But it says something else was destroyed, was torn in two when Jesus hung on the cross. It says the dividing wall of hostility that divided Jew and Gentile, divided ethnic groups, divided ancient peoples who had hated each other for centuries. It says that wall was torn down in, two by, in Jesus' body on the cross so that all kinds of people who had been ancient enemies could come together under the lordship of Jesus in the kingdom of God, filled with the Spirit, and become brothers and sisters to each other, which is why we are here this morning. Hallelujah. 
New people coming together who had never come together before. Does that, then the result was a rich diversity of people loving each other from all kinds of places, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of races. Does that sound like what the world needs now? In Dallas, of course, we saw the tragedy. We saw 12 policemen shot, five murdered. And from what I understand from the news and such, it was a good police department with good community relationships trying to do the right thing. In fact, that evening they were shot. They were helping the Black Lives Matter movement. And when the shooting started, they protected some of those who were demonstrators there. Good men died in Dallas this week. And we need and we will, after this sermon, pray for the five families that are grieving. In fact, we need to pray for the police because the police have a necessary job and an incredibly difficult job. And we need to pray for the police. But also, there were other tragedies this week. One in Minnesota where a young African-American man was, was gunned down. And in Louisiana, the same thing. And I need to say this, too many unarmed black men are dying who are guilty either of nothing or of misdemeanors or of small-time petty crimes, and we are seeing it every week on television, and we can't keep seeing this every week on television. It is tearing this nation apart. And some people, you know, go, oh, it's never been worse. I disagree. It's been a lot worse. You know when it was worse? It was worse when hundred, you know, hundreds of years ago, Africans were kidnapped, put on slave ships, and shipped over here. And while they were being shipped over here, 10 to 12 million Africans died on what is called the Middle Passage. In other words, they, the, ship, the slave ships usually could hold 600 slaves. And what they accepted as, a, as, a, as a, uh, uh, an acceptable loss coming from Africa to America, what they accepted was of those 600, if 200 died, that was an acceptable loss. And they, di they did die that way. They died because they were stacked on top of each other like cordwood. And they died from infection, from dehydration, from heat prostration. They died from people vomiting on them. They died from living in a sewer and what they would do is just take their bodies and throw them overboard. And if they got here with 400 of the 600, they made a profit. And 10 million Africans died that, that, that way. Now, it's, it's not that bad. It's not it's that bad today. And then, of course, there was slavery. What can you say about slavery? And what it did to, the, to, to those people and what it did you know, to families. And people were completely property and disposable. And it's not as bad... You know, it was during Jim Crow where black folks were at the mercy of the system and anybody that didn't like them. And during that time, during Jim Crow, 18,000 lynchings took place. And that's just the documented lynchings that took place. God knows how many were lynched. It's better than that. And some people go, well, it's the worst it's been since the Civil Rights Movement. I, to be honest, I don't believe that either. You know what is the difference of what's going on now? Technology is changing things. We're getting things on film that didn't used to be on film and on video that didn't used to be on video. We're seeing what was hidden up to now, covered up 
up to now, whitewashed up to now, but it was going on all along, all along. And the white community was ignorant of it, but the black community sure was not ignorant of it. Are all police racist? Of course not. Of course not. Are most racist? The answer is no one's done a study. I have no idea. I'm not going to pronounce judgment. But I do know this. There are good cops and there are bad cops. And that is obvious. And part of the problem with the system is that cops tend to protect their own. And the system tends to protect those who are in power. You know, the police feel targeted now, and I deeply regret that. I don't want the police to feel targeted now. But I have to tell you, many African Americans would say, welcome to the club, we've been targeted for 400 years. America has to accept the fact that the system works for the majority and not for the minority, especially black men. Racism is, as Peter Wagner says, and Peter, for Peter Wagner to say this, Peter Wagner is a missiologist at Fuller, and he did the church growth movement and was big in the charismatic movement, and he has not really paid a lot of attention to social justice stuff throughout his life. But I, and so I was stunned when he said this, because this was a, I, I never imagined this coming from Peter Wagner, but Peter Wagner said, racism is the number one sin in America. What, when democracy was being born 400 years ago, so was slavery. That's a split personality for a nation. And the wound that was created 400 years ago as we developed democracy and slavery simultaneously, the wound has never been healed. Have you noticed? It's been in all the papers. And the silent partner in this, and sometimes the not-so-silent partner in this, has been the church in North America, especially the white church in North America. It was the church in Europe and in America that supported slavery, justified it. Gave, that's why we have re- racism. You see, slavery and racism are different. You can have slavery without racism. But racism was created to justify the slavery. Because, you see, Europe was supposed to be Christian. And America is supposed to be Christian. And how do you justify the unjustifiable? How do you justify invading someone, conquering them, murdering them, stealing their stuff, enslaving them? How do you do that? And you're supposedly Christian. Here's how they did it. They invented racism, which says that people of color are less smart, less attractive, less moral, less self-controlled, That, in other words, for the white folks to do what they did to people of color, they had to dehumanize the people of color and make them less than human. That's bad enough. You know, that was to quiet the Christian conscience of Europe and America. To, you know, otherwise we look pretty bad if we're doing this to other human beings, right? But here's, here's, here's the part that breaks my heart is after the Civil War, after hundreds of years of slavery, prior to the end of the Civil War, blacks and whites worshiped together. Did you know that? Black folks were up in the balcony. That's like the back of the bus now. They were in the balcony. But they worshiped with their slave masters and slave owners. And they worshiped together for many, many years. And at the end of the Civil War, when the slaves were set free, 
They went to their slave masters and owners and said to them, and this is historical fact, you can look it up. They said, now that slavery is over, we still would like to worship with you because we share the same Lord and the same Spirit. And you know what the white church said then? They said, get out. Or they said, you, you can stay if you stay up in the balcony. And that, that's how you can stay. And that's when the black church was born. Do you realize what happened right there? We could have healed the rift in America right there. We wouldn't be watching what we're watching on the news if the white church hadn't been a bunch of racist jerks about it. And then, of course, during the Civil Rights Movement, when our black brothers and sisters were fighting for their right to vote at basic rights, what did, what did the white church do? We watched them and many condemned them. And today, the church still ignores racism as a sin. It labels it as a social issue or a legal issue. We have the answer to racism, brothers and sisters. Because racism is a profound heart problem. The definition of racism, again, is a, is a stereotype. See, I know so many people who go, I'm not a racist. I don't hate black people or Latino people or Asian people. I don't want to hurt anybody. But you see, racism is not based on whether initially whether you hate someone or want to hurt them. It's do you hold to these stereotypes that they are inferior, inferior you to, to you in, any, in every way. Because see, racism is not limited to hate. It's more about lies, the devil's lies about who somebody who looks different from you is, and, and it's more about fear, lies that people who, who are inferior in every way are out of control and to be treated like animals, or the fear that produces a hair-trigger stereotype by a non-hating police person. Those stereotypes just kick right in. The devil is a liar, but boy, he's a good one, isn't he? We need spiritual power to overcome his lies. We need spiritual power to overcome his fear. We need spiritual power to overcome his hate. We need prayer to overcome the prejudice. Only the Spirit of God can do certain things. We also, as the church of Jesus Christ, need to model racial reconciliation. We need to do what happened in Ephesians 2, where people who historically didn't like each other came together under Jesus Christ. We need to bring healing to the split in our country that has existed for 400 years. We need God's help to stop the madness we see on TV. We need to show the world a better way. Isn't that part of why we are here today, this morning? Hallelujah. Also, in regards to Dallas, I have to bring up one more thing since I'm going to go knee-deep in trouble. The other problem complicating what's going on in this country are weapons of mass destruction completely available to a civilian population. That that, that that one man in Dallas could take down 12 armed and trained Dallas policemen with body armor on while they were on duty is beyond the pale. How can one man do that? I'll tell you, it was his weaponry. We can't allow these weapons in a civilian population. One man shouldn't be able to shoot 102 people in Orlando. 
One man, one gun, kill 49, shoot 102? That kind of weaponry should not be out there. We should not have weapons that can shoot 26 teachers and children in Sandy Hook. We should not have weapons that can kill dozens in a movie theater in Aurora or in Columbine or in Virginia Tech. By the way, by the way, the, and for the, over the last two years, counting mass shootings, and by mass shooting, it means two or more people were shot by one person. We are averaging over one mass shooting a week for the last two years in America. And we're turning into a battleground. Where can you go that it's safe now? You can't go to a movie theater. They're shooting them up. You can't go to the mall. They're shooting them up. You can't go to school. They're shooting that up. You can't go to the university. They're shooting that up. They're shooting up grocery stores. They're shooting up places of work. Where can you go? They're not shooting. And they're shooting in church. By the way, I, oh, don't get me going on that. There has always been a principle in this country that says military weaponry is not a right. Did you hear that? These semi-automatic and automatic weapons are not covered by the Second Amendment because automatic and semi-automatic weapons were created by the military, designed by the military, for the military to kill as many people as possible in a war. They weren't meant for us to have them. The automatic and semi-automatic weapons should be removed and left to the military. For the same reasons you cannot buy hand grenades down at Walmart, you shouldn't be able to get these guns. You know, I can see Walmart now, six hand grenades for a dollar, we beat everybody's price. For the same reason you cannot go down to a Ford dealership and buy a tank, you should not be able to get these guns. For the same reason you cannot buy a bazooka at Target, these weapons should not be available to the general public. And please hear this. Hunters don't use them. A hunter doesn't go out with one of these basic machine guns and go, did you see the moose I shot? It's got 500 holes in it. It never stood a chance with the kind of firepower I had. No, hunter, hunters go out. To, it, it's a skill. It's an art. It's not, let's go blow up Bambi. There's no, there's no sport in hunting using a weapon that shoots a thousand rounds a minute. And the, the, the skeet shooters or the target shooters don't use these kind of guns. You don't see them going eh, to a skeet and going, I got it with the 500th bullet. I'm a sharpshooter. I knew one of those bullets would get it. Even people who want guns for self-protection, you can't carry that kind of weapon around. And I want you to hear this. I'm not against guns or hunters, or gun collectors, or the right of a person to carry a handgun, because hunters aren't the problem. They're the good guys. Shooting rifles, hunting rifles are not the problem. They're not used for this stuff. Target practices, you know, that, that's not the problem. The problem is two classifications of weapon. One is illegal handguns, not legal handguns, and the other is semi-automatic and automatic weapons. And they need, to be, they need to be removed. And there are laws that can make a difference here. You know, somebody told me after the first service, they said, you know, when they wrote the Second Amendment, they didn't say, you have the right to bear arms and artillery. You just have the right. 
See the difference? And laws can make a difference. It's been proven. For instance, the handguns that are flooding our streets now. Let me, it's done through straw purchases. Let me give you a brief description of how a straw purchase takes place. A criminal with a criminal record cannot go in and buy a gun. So they get a friend or a family member to go in and buy the guns for them. You know, and they'll tell them which guns to buy, and at gun shows, and so they'll go in and buy five or ten, or at a gun show, 50. They'll come out, pay the relative or the friend who bought for the guns, reward them handsomely, and then go sell, sell them on the streets for a handsome profit. That's how it gets on the streets. That's how illegal handguns get on the streets. And you can do two things about that. The first is this. Lim limit the purchase of a handgun to anyone to one a month. One a month. Because no gun dealer, illegal gun dealer, is going to make a lot of money off one gun a month. They'll go broke. There's no profit motive in it. The second thing is there's a law out there. It's very simple. Right now, if somebody goes and does a straw purchase for a, a, you know, a criminal gun distributor, they are instructed, if this gun ever shows up in a crime, you lie and tell them you either lost the gun or it was stolen from you. And if you pass the law that says, if this gun is ever missing, you must report it immediately. Immediately. Or else you are in trouble with the law. If you can't say anymore, oh, I don't know how that gun got in that criminal's hands. You can't say that anymore if you have to report it immediately. You can, you, you know, that, that, that one gun a month thing, you know, people go, well, I go, 12, that gives you 12 guns a year. For the rest of your life, 12 handguns a year. If you need more than that, the question is, what's up? You know? And the, and the second thing, you know, is, is they, in, in New Jersey, they tried this one gun a month thing. Violent crime dropped 40% the first year, 40%. Again, get the automatic and, and uh, semi-automatic weapons. And here's another one. Here's a simple law. Close the gun shops that supply the criminals. But you know why we have a very hard time closing the gun shop? Let me tell you a statistic. 90% of the guns that end up in criminals' hands come from 5% of the gun shops. Most gun shop owners are good people. Most gun shop owners do play by the rules and by the laws. They're, they're business people. But it's the 5% that arms America. The bad eggs. And you know what? In our community, it is against the law to know which gun shops are doing that. It's against the law. Some Yahoo senator from Oklahoma got that in there 10 or 12 years ago that a, and that a community cannot know where the guns used in crime are coming from. It's the most un-American thing I've ever heard. We have to remove the weapons that allow one person to do a massacre. And we can have common sense laws. You know, and I get so sick of this, oh, slippery slope, slippery. If you let them even have one law, they'll take away all our guns. Bull! Nobody, I, I work with a faith-based organization called Heeding God's Call. I know a bunch of other org faith-based organizations. No one wants to take away guns. They just want to get the weapons of mass destruction out of here and the, and the guns, you know, the, the, the illegal handguns out of here. But some people manufacture fear to stay in power. And we can't have the attitude that the only way to be safe in America is to turn America into an armed camp while everybody packs heat. 
You know, I've heard it, you've heard it. The only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Let's play that out a little bit. What if every one of us as adults over 18 decided to take the advice of the NRA and those other groups, and all of us carry heat? Can you imagine the new level of road rage that's going to go up? Can you imagine what's going to happen on the highways? Or can you imagine what's going to happen on college campuses? Let's take Penn State. Noted for its drinking, people getting stoned, brawling, carousing. Can you imagine if you, into all of that mix, everybody packs heat in the dorm? Can you imagine what's going to happen? Or let's take sporting events. Can you, on high school or college or professional, can you imagine after a Steelers-Eagles game and the Eagles, those, they get beat again and they're, they're so noted for their good temperaments? And, and suddenly they come meeting together in the parking lot and, and the Pittsburgh fans start taunting the Eagle fans and everybody's packing heat. Can you imagine what's going to happen? Or what happens in a normal human conflict? If I'm furious, it's one thing. If I'm furious and have a gun on me, it's another thing. In fact, that's what's going on now in Harrisburg and in urban centers. We have, because of the illegal handguns flooding the streets, with many young men, what used to be a fist fight, now, in my day, has now turned into a homicide. You know, remember when you used to duke it out and walk away? Now you don't duke it, you shoot it out and somebody doesn't walk away. You remember when, when two guys duked it out? Now, now it's a murder. The NRA's cure is far worse than the disease. Yeah, let's, pat, let's arm everybody. That'll make us safer. Aren't Christians supposed to be peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. Aren't we supposed to be ambassadors of reconciliation? Aren't we supposed to be wall breakers? Brothers and sisters, our prayers and our voice need to be heard now. Anabaptists need to show the world that the way of Jesus is more needed than ever. How do we do it? Well, we, we use our weapons. You ready to use your weapons? Our first weapon is prayer. Prayer, that's our main weapon. But in Ephesians 6, it says we have a whole lot more. It says we have the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of peacemaking, the breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of, 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 of truth. Yeah, that's what girdles are for. Yeah! We need to use our weapons, and we need to teach our kids and the kids in our neighborhoods how to de-escalate a conflict instead of end up shooting it out. We can teach, you can teach peacemaking skills. You know that, don't you? And we need to confront unjust systems and quit turning a blind eye when certain oppressions happen over and over. We need to lobby the powers that be for sane gun laws. You know, somebody has said to me, uh, and this may surprise you, but they've gone, you can't stop a criminal from getting a gun. I agree. You can't. But the problem is all these people who aren't print criminals that are getting guns. Teenagers and 20-somethings and, and, and fights in the street. It, and we need to make friends intentionally 
with people of other ethnic groups, which is why we're here, right? I like you, you like me, we're a happy family. <laughs> that was by a person of color, Barney the Purple <laughs> Dinosaur. Uh, I'm, a, I'm shocked at what's coming out of my mouth right now. Uh, we, need, we need to listen to each other. We need to listen to each other. And especially there needs to be dialogue between the police and the black community. We can't keep on going this way. And we need to be the radical alternative community Christ calls us to be. And show people how all kinds of people can love each other in the spirit of Christ. Do you know how beautiful you look to me this morning? It's not because everybody is a model. It's not because everybody's got hair. It's not because, you know, there's not spider veins out there and stuff like that. You know why you're beautiful? Because of your diversity. The New Testament church was diverse in every way. They showed the world the heaven that is coming down. Hallelujah. And so are we. Male and female, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, Greek and Roman. Christ brought them all together, knit them in love together, made them brothers and sisters together, made them a community of peacemakers together. Hallelujah. I can't tell you when after this week, I can't tell you how forward I was looking to getting together with you. You. All the different pieces of this church that are you. All the different colors, all the different races. After, after listening to how our world is fractured in this, along racial lines and ethnic lines and socioeconomic lines, I couldn't wait to get here to see you. Hallelujah. Rodney King said, can't we all get along? Apparently not. <laughs> At least not without Christ. Not without spiritual power. Not without truth. Not without fairness and justice for everybody. Not without someone crossing invisible lines and taking risks and loving in Christ's name. Here's what I do know. What I see on television is not the answer. What I saw in Dallas this week was not the answer. What I saw in Minnesota and Louisiana this week was not the answer. Guess who has the answer? Jesus has the answer, and we are his ambassadors of reconciliation. That's who has the answer. And for these things, we are now going to pray and must act if things are going to change. That's from my heart. By the way, it usually takes me 10 to 15 hours a week to write a sermon. I wrote this in 15 minutes. It just poured out of me because it needed to be said this week. So we're going to pray. I want you to gather, not wait till I finish in my instructions, but I want you to gather into groups of three or four or five. And I want you to pray for the families in Dallas that lost a loved one. And I want you to pray for the Dallas Police Department and the grief they're going through. And I want you to pray for the police, period. That they can do their job the way it's supposed to be done. And I want you to pray 
that racism begins to change and that the church in America will help it begin to change. And I want you to pray that weapons of mass destruction get off our streets. And I want you to pray that our nation gets healed. And I want you to pray that justice rolls down like a mighty river on everybody. I want you to pray these things. And I want you to pray that God guides our church in what the specific things he wants us to do about it. And I want you to pray that the church in America rises up. Okay? Now that's enough. I don't expect you to pray for all those things or remember all those things. I can barely remember them. But I expect you to remember them. Some of them. So gather together, we're going to take about seven or eight minutes, and we're going to pray. Get with somebody near you, and if you don't like them, move on to somebody else. So, so uh, let's do that, and let's pray. Let's pray. I'd also like the intercessors to come forward for any individual prayer requests that, uh, that may be uh, asked for. I'd like us all to stand. And um, I'd like us to worship God uh, together. Again, our strength is from heaven. Our strength is from the Spirit. And as we leave this place with the task ahead of us, we will need that strength and we will need the Holy Spirit. And let us be aware. Okay?
we're called to do. Shine our light for the whole world to see the glory of the risen King. You can make a difference in your family, in your neighborhood, on your job. You can make a difference. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I'd like us to pray. Lord, send us in your peace. Remind us that no matter how bad this world gets, how violent and evil and racial it gets, you are risen from the grave. You are on the throne of God. You are coming again. The kingdom of God is here and nothing can stop it. Remind us, Lord, when, it's, when evil seems to be in control, just who's sitting on the throne of God and who is really in control. Let us not despair. Instead, let us be ambassadors of healing and reconciliation. In your name, help us to go out with your shalom. Amen.